The Bible Study Podcast, episode 743. Today, the Bible Study Podcast begins a new short study on the theology of COVID. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. This is going to be a little different episode or series of episodes, I'm not sure which, that was inspired actually because of a post that a friend put up. Uh, Lovely Christian person, not going to mention who they are. It's not important for this discussion. But they were recovering from COVID and they mentioned they had not been vaccinated and the reasons why that they didn't want to put something foreign into their body and that they were sure that God could protect them from COVID. And those are all great sentiments and I understand what they're thinking, but I'm not sure the theology is terrific, and it seemed like it was about time to talk about some of the theology issues that have been coming up with this pandemic. And I don't want to get into the politics of things, who said what and what side's doing what and who wants to do those sorts of things, because I'll leave that for other people. But I think it is appropriate to talk about the theology and where the theology that's being used is dubious or straight out in contradiction to what the Bible says. So I hope you will indulge me as I'm going to cover this. Uh, My plan is to start talking about science and theology and the overlap of the two, and then to get into more practical applications for this specific pandemic. But my idea here is that I want to give you a set of tools to use when you're trying to decide and make important decisions and let the Bible influence those decisions. Because obviously, if we looked up some of the questions that people have been asking here over the last year or two, you know, should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Should I get a vaccine? Should I not get a vaccine? Should I get a booster? Should I not get a booster? None of those you're going to find in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say anything, strangely enough, about COVID-19. It just doesn't. And that is going to be true for a number of things in our life where it's not going to say who exactly who you should and shouldn't date, but it's going to give us guidelines. It's not going to say, should you take this job or should you not take this job, but it's going to give us guidelines. And again, in this case, I think there are some guidelines, and I think there's some guidelines that we're overlooking. So that's why I want to do this study. I want to start with science because I think that there has been an uneasy relationship between science and Christianity uh, that is always a little baffling to me. And let me tell you why. So I think of places where it has been particularly bad. So, for instance, back in the time of the Renaissance, people believed in general that the earth was the center of the universe. And there's some obscure Bible verses that they thought gave that impression, and they're probably there. I can't remember what they are off the top of my head because, honestly, they're not that important in the Bible. It isn't one of those things that, you know, my faith as a Christian depends on whether the sun is the center of the solar system or the earth is the center of the solar system. And But the church felt that it was being challenged by these new people who were looking at some of the scientific evidence and saying, hang on a second, I think we got that wrong. I think the earth revolves around the sun instead of the sun revolves around the earth. And the church challenged this to the point at which people had to recant this, otherwise they would be executed. And the problem with this is that the earth does actually revolve around the sun, and and we can prove that, and we can see the evidence for that. And the thing that I think we miss 
is that the scientists, Copernicus and Galileo, for instance, did not change the way the earth and the sun move. Galileo or Copernicus did not make the earth revolve around the sun. The earth revolves around the sun. Do you know who changed it so that the earth revolves around the sun? Or do you know who made it? The earth revolves around the sun? That would be God. That is our understanding in our theology is that God is the creator of all things. The book of Colossians says about Jesus that all things visible and invisible hold together in Christ. That science has never invented anything in physics, anything in biology, anything in chemistry. They've invented new ways to do things. But all of those things that they have discovered, when Isaac Newton discovers gravity, well, first of all, we all knew that it was there, but when he figures out some mathematics that generally work to describe gravity so we can predict it, those equations were invented by God, or at least the relationships that those equations describe. When Einstein changes that theory later on, because he explains it in a different way that is more accurate in a larger set of things, it's, again, getting closer to a truth which is the truth that God established. And so as we get in down here into pandemic and medicine and things like that, scientists didn't invent antibodies. Scientists didn't invent viruses. They didn't invent germs in general. They discovered them over the years. They discovered things that God had created originally. Now, we could debate all day why God created viruses, and I don't have an answer to that, but they exist. And over time, we have learned more about this God-created world that we have, and we have understood more about it, and we have been able to do more with that knowledge. And that's often where science is coming in. Now, science is just a tool. And as I say science here, in this particular episode, I'm going to define it in a very specific way, the way it was defined for me when I went to school. Now, I have two degrees in engineering, which is applied science. And I've obviously spent a fair amount of time studying the Bible, so I, I believe in both, but I don't believe in them in the same way. Science is a very good tool, good for certain things. And when I say science, I want to think about the scientific method. And this is what we were taught in school. Hopefully you were taught the same thing as well, that the scientific method is you come up with a theory, and then you make a hypothesis, and then you run an experiment to see if that theory is true or more true. Actually, that scientific method never proves something true or false, but it supports it. So a lot of times when we talk about what science says and what science doesn't say, we're reading it through a lens of the modern media that is trying to explain it in any simple fashion and often doesn't understand it. That's just the truth of science can be complicated. And so we get science proves this and science proves that. And the problem with that is that science some days, it seems, proves this and then the opposite three weeks later. Right now we're running into some of those things where we see studies come out and someone will write up about that study that this proves that, you know, the Delta, the Omicron virus is as dangerous as the Delta variant of COVID. No, it's not, according to another study. And that's fine. That's all good science. It's just that what science doesn't do is give you absolutes. Science doesn't give you truth per se. It supports theories and supports hypotheses, and it leads, it's a path for discovering truth, this experimental scientific method. And when I say truth, I mean a certain kind of truth. 
because I say science is a tool, it is a tool that is useful for doing things that you can run experiments. And so as I define science that narrowly, obviously I'm kind of defining it in a smaller subset of things than we currently call science. I can't run experiments per se on you know evolution, on, on geological age and things like that. I can support those things, but let's focus in on, on the scientific method, which is I have a hypothesis, I run an experiment, and I see whether it supports that hypothesis that will move me closer to a certain kind of truth. Now, science doesn't have in it per se good and bad. That doesn't mean that scientists don't believe something is good or something is bad or won't argue that something is good or, or something is bad, but the science itself doesn't really have within it whether something is right or wrong. That's just not what science provides us. And when we hear things that are right or wrong that are coming out of science, that is people's interpretation using their morality or using their theology to apply to the science. And that's fine. It's a tool that is not useful for doing that, but useful for figuring out a certain kind of truths. Theology, on the other hand, or the study of God or the understanding of God or our faith, are much more about what is right and wrong. And the Bible, as it talks about different things, is really focused more on that relationship with God than it is on any particular fact that can be experimented with or proved with science or not. That's just what's important to our faith. And so the two have a, a good overlap when they work well together. Science without theology or science without faith or science without morality can be very dangerous. It can lead to a number of evils. Uh, it can lead to Dr. Joseph Mengele experimenting on prisoners of war in World War II. It can lead to the same sort of things that the U.S. did in the same time period on black men in the syphilis study. So science without faith, science without morality is dangerous. But faith without science or faith without an understanding of things the way they actually work can be foolishness. And I think of this whole discussion back in the Renaissance about whether the earth revolves around the sun or the sun around the earth. One of those things is true. And only one of those things is true. And only one of those things can be true. And science is just a tool to help find out which one. And that's useful for us to understand as we get into, and next week I'm going to probably talk more about the process of how that gets applied here. And then we're going to delve much more into the faith questions that come up in the whole what should I do sort of thing and look more at decision making. But I want to start with this because there's this uneasy tension as if science were the enemy of faith. And I, I think they just operate in different realms when applied correctly. One of the things we also need to understand about science is that it is a tool, but it's not a perfect tool by any means, even for scientists. I mean, not just that Christians have a problem with science sometimes, but as scientists describe themselves and how truth marches forward, there's the way we learned about it in high school science, which is, and then this theory will be disproven and we'll all move on to the new theory and we'll all march towards truth. In reality, 
what happens is there are theological discussions or there are philosophical discussions is probably a more accurate term in science just as there are in other studies. Sometimes what happens is something will be believed to be true in a whole till a whole generation of scientists dies off. The great scientist Max Planck, after whom the Planck constant is named, who did a lot of work in physics, had a saying which the shortened version of is that science advances one funeral at a time. Science is not clean and pure, and it isn't exact and doesn't always give an exact answer like it did back in high school. And that's the problem is you run an experiment and you develop evidence for this being true or not being true. You don't prove it. And we've seen that. We've seen that this year, the last year or two, as information has come out and then some people have been very frustrated that, you know, the CDC said this way back two years ago, and now they say something different, and therefore they're lying. It's like, no, that's just the way science works. Science moves towards truth in a herky-jerky fashion where one study will seem to imply this, and then another study will seem to contradict it. And that's why it's useful for us to look at things that are run under controlled experiments, and that's a good scientific method. So, for instance, what happened here with vaccines, we need to understand before we get into the faith element and the decision element, is that developing a vaccine for COVID-19 was surprisingly easy. And the reason for that was a lot of scientists had been doing a lot of work anticipating that something like this was going to happen because it's not the first time a coronavirus, a virus with that interesting spiky appearance that we have seen so many pictures of, has come out and has done a lot of damage to people, has, has killed a lot of people. The MERS virus and the SARS virus are the best example of other coronal viruses that have come out in past years and have killed a lot of people, but fortunately became an epidemic and not a pandemic, a localized uh, situation. And so they had been working on vaccines for those viruses already. And so they had a mechanism so that one of the vaccines was literally developed over the course of a weekend because they were able to apply what they knew once they got the, the DNA of the virus, once they got the, the information about how this virus was formed from the World Health Organization, they were able to come up fairly quickly with a vaccine. They did not then release that vaccine the next week. In fact, all of the delay or most of the delay till we had a vaccine for this and to up until you know the beginning of the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021 was doing testing to make sure that that vaccine was useful would actually help against the virus and also wasn't dangerous and you really need to do that with you know 10,000 people not with two or three and you need to do it in experiments. You start with animal trials typically, and then you you know develop into getting ready for human trials. And all that was accelerated, but you still had to go through those steps. And the reason why you need to do that is if I take the vaccine, for instance, and then I get COVID, how do you know whether I got COVID from the vaccine, which you can't actually get, but how do you know that I got COVID from the vaccine or I got COVID from the person next door? And it's difficult to know. And so you need the large number of people so you can rule out those things where, you know, where people say, I did this, I took, I took orange juice and I got better. 
Well, those are two facts that are true, but they aren't necessarily related. And the reason why they needed to do the testing on all the number of people is they needed to make sure that those things were related. And the way they do that in a scientific fashion, which is, again, when I talk about science being a useful tool for a certain kind of problems, in a scientific fashion, what they did is they said, we're going to give, you know, say 10,000 people, this is one of the sets of the trials, half of them were going to give the vaccine and half of them were going to give a placebo. We're going to give sterile saline or something like that, as in the they don't know which they got. Their doctor doesn't know which they got. The company that is having their vaccines tested doesn't know which they got. And if you're ever interested in something interesting in terms of the history of this pandemic, listen to the call that has come out recently, um, the audio of a conference call with the people from Pfizer. And the Pfizer people had developed this vaccine, and they had gone through the testing, and they're on this call, and they're debating amongst themselves before all of this data is revealed to them. There's a particular group that is running the study that knows the answers of who got what, but they don't tell the patient, they don't tell the doctor, and they don't tell Pfizer. And they're saying, do you think we got 50% effectiveness? You know, do we think we got, you know, what do you think we're going to get? And they revealed that in that first round with an alpha version of the virus, again, which is in the in our past now, that they got, I think it was 96% effectiveness. So they looked at the percentage of people, you know, in that 5,000 group who got it versus the 5,000 who didn't, and they saw that it was much more effective that those who got the vaccine, the real vaccine, didn't get COVID, and those who did, who didn't get the vaccine did get COVID. And of course, they had to wait some time. You can't just do it over the weekend and then see if you got COVID because there wouldn't be time for people to be exposed. So that was the delay is you had to give it to all these people and then you had to wait. You had to wait to see who would get COVID and who wouldn't. Now, at some point, one of the reasons why they did that emergency uh, approval is at some point when the data shows that this group is much more protected than that group, it becomes a moral issue of it is immoral for us not to release this vaccine. It is immoral for us to do this testing and give 50% of the people a placebo, something that isn't going to do them any good, except it may make them think it is doing any good. So that's an all interesting thing. That's the way, in my head, way science and theology apply, is they need to work together. And next time we're going to focus in much more on the theology. We're going to look at some Bible verses as they apply to the decisions that we need to make in this sort of global pandemic and how we would make them. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. I'm going to ask for this episode that if you have questions, you maybe wait one episode, listen to the next one, and then respond with your questions and send them to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help 
guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.